Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Joining us once again, a returning guest here. I say that a lot, but I finally got a returning guest here. So this athlete grew up playing for Pac-Man, and he grew up playing on the OVA Beach Tour, where he's won multiple medals at Provincials and Nationals. He's an assistant coach with the University of Toronto. He just bailed me out and was a Team Canada coach at the Youth World in Thailand. And you'll remember him from episode 35. Please welcome to the show, Andrew Cox. Cox, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you, Josh, for having me. It's a blast. I'm uh, glad to be back after what now? Four years, three years. So it, it, it didn't feel that long ago until I looked it up, and it was like October of 2019. So it has been a while. <laughs> Things have definitely changed since that point. Eh? It's quite a different world nowadays. So I have to give you an assist right away. We had Jasper on Sharp Cuts, the the, the brother or sister show of Passing Dimes, and he was awesome. The first conversation I ever had with that guy was on the air, and I thought he was awesome. So just, just walk me through U of T right now. It seems like a great group of guys, easy group to root for, as they're hopefully getting back into the season right now. Yeah, yeah, they're getting back in the swing of things. Again, like with the stoppage they had, it's it's a bit tough to kind of keep that continue like continuing growth with that group. And it's such a new one from when I left and where when Chris Tao left and all those guys. Right? It's it's a completely different group with the Queens transfers and the new guys, but guys like Jaspers are, are holding down the fort and uh and yeah, and keeping it uh, keeping it afloat. But it's uh yeah, I don't know. I think I think they'll they're one of those teams like as we saw in that first game against Queens. Right, they still need some time to develop. Right, and as the just before the season got kind of halted, right, you started seeing some glints. Right, you started seeing the old Evan. Right, the fit Evan after the summer we worked with him, the, all that stuff where he looks unbelievable. Right, OUA Player of the Year, Evan, as Jasper probably said. <laughs> he, he did. We asked him for a Player of the Week, and uh, at the time, U of T was on pause, and he said Evan Flardo, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! All of Canada West is playing, and you're still picking Evan. But yeah, big Evan supporter, and rightfully so, as we go into the second semester here. Hopefully, he has a big, a big semester, and I don't know what's going on with Nationals, but hopefully, U of T can get there because uh, for them to qualify last year and not have the opportunity to compete, it just feels like uh, something was left on the table for the boys. Yeah, yeah, that one definitely hurt. I'm not gonna lie. That was uh, the night before we were supposed to play Alberta. I remember that being in Winnipeg and having that whole thing fall down. That was 2020, 2020? yeah, 2020. Um, but yeah, I think like a lot of those guys. That it's amazing. Like Jasper was a guy who walked into his first year, and like we had some trouble. Like we had some rough times at UFT throughout my five years there. Right, there were some tough seasons, and growing from that. And then Jasper walks in and we go twenty and one in the regular season. Right. And not totally because of Jasper, but like having that kind of commitment level to like winning and that standard is something I think that was maintained throughout that time and through that off season, that long haul. So I think that's paying dividends now because I think like even the way practices are going right here, how, how things are being prepared, even in the time of when we don't have things open, right? Guys making it out to, to train at places where they're not used to training, right? Going into the Lake Dixon, Lake Ontario, just to get cool down. Like, ridiculous thing. Yeah, if you don't follow the U of T Instagram page, uh, you should because uh, great soundtrack to the boys working out there. And it was 
the bunker, as they're calling it, uh, a nice little uh, home gym setup they've got there for a few of the boys. So no, it, it's just cool to follow. And uh, obviously, the program runs through Coach Barrett, and, and he's the man there, right? But he's surrounded himself with a lot of good people because, I mean, Dave McAllister's there, Denton, uh, Kieran McGowan, who's been on the show, is there. But uh, you play a pretty important role with the recruiting, right? So how, how do you keep your, your finger on the pulse here of youth volleyball? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm still involved with all the, uh, the 18U athletes and a lot of my guys that I started coaching with. So I'm, I'm pretty in tune with that cohort of kids. But yeah, just searching out for the next uh, Evan Florido, whoever it may be that's, <laughs> that's coming in. There's only one Evan Florido. There's, there's, only, <laughs> yeah, there's one, only one that can have any food exposed muffins, but, he's, uh, <laughs> but he's, uh, he's a good guy. And, uh, and I think other good guys that are high character young men that want to develop academically and athletically. Like UFT makes a lot of sense, so that's that's my little pitch there. Thirty seconds that uh, <laughs> that I'll probably give to most athletes that will. Definitely, I, I think there's a lot of high performers, both academically and and volleyball wise. But yeah, we, we joke with Evan, but they're all good guys. With between Evan, I'm a big Mitchell Newert guy. Zane's there now, but uh, even the guys who have been there their whole careers, and, and even your cycle. I mean, you might not have had as much success if you wanted, but it, it seems like there's just a lot of good guys around the program every year. Yeah, no, it's and it's such a it's a culture thing, right? It's cheesy to say, but as we talk about a lot, it's having those guys in the locker room, like the Jordan Figueres that helped that program move along. Great right? guy, like you, those guys that I don't know. Every single day you watch them, you compete, and and that I think again has resonated with a lot of those guys that are still there. So, um, and yeah, no, it's it's exciting, but I don't know. We'll we'll see the the, the next uh, next few years of youth volleyball looks very bright. I don't think they. I don't think in theory we should graduate or have to graduate anybody this year. And I understand because of that whole year off. So all the Mitch, all the Zane, right. all those, all those guys in transfer still got one more. And I don't know, depending on what Evan wants to do. And a lot of those guys, we could very well just be reloading for, for another year. Of this, So uh, we'll see. But a lot of things can change, right? As, as we've seen. Exactly, exactly. I mentioned at the start of the show, you bailed me out. So just uh, with the, the birth of our son here, I mean, I couldn't get the pass. My wife is pretty understanding as she's letting me do the show still. But uh, uh, a three-week, maybe two and a half, whatever you were in Thailand, was just wasn't going to be when uh, my, my son was scheduled to be born there. So nominated you to go be the Team Canada rep, and you got to go to Youth Worlds. And just for our listeners, the reason it makes a lot of sense is uh, one, you're involved in the in the youth circle, and some of your athletes are already going to be there. For full transparency, you were not on the committee to select the athletes, so they they applied and did it. But uh, you were coaching with us with the summer group, and then you got to go. Uh, you, you were you've been to Youth World, so it just made a sense on a lot of layers. But uh, sorry to do this on the internet and in front of all the listeners, but what did you think of the experience of being the Team Canada head coach at a Youth World Championships? Yeah, no, it was a blast. And uh, thank you, William, for coming out at that time. I really appreciate <laughs> the timing was impeccable. And uh, yeah, no, it was, I think it was 25 days that I was going. It was, it was almost a month. Um, and yeah, it was like, uh, again, going as an athlete was a ton of fun and totally different. Uh, like having to be responsible for all these athletes. And, and honestly, like seeing how, again, with so much off time in the last few years, like seeing how these athletes that I got to work with sacrificed to make this happen. And I think all of them, yeah, all of them were first-time world championship for them, right? So seeing how they kind of walked into that, handled that, and you have the Ava and the Kayleys who've been there, done that in the sense of NCAA stuff, but the world championships is slightly different, right? You have a different pressure to it, you're representing the country, so it was uh, it was a really cool experience. Like the networking was awesome, and uh, and yeah, like I don't know, I just I was very happy with a lot of the commitment effort, especially from our younger athletes like Caden and Mill, who took the time out of their indoor schedule, stepped away from that to fully commit to beach for months 
uh, by the tournament. And uh, I don't know, as 16 year old athletes with that kind of physical potential, we often don't see that. So especially for December. Yeah, definitely. Like there, there was a lot of wrenches thrown in this just from a logistics standpoint, like uh, one uh, typically with team Canada beach volleyball, we like to compete for the spot. So we like to do what's called a trials. You sign up for the tournament, you win, you are nominated for the spot with COVID. We couldn't have a tournament. It didn't make sense to have athletes flying from all over the country to come to an imaginary bubble to do it. So we, we did a nomination process, but then the athletes we nominated, uh, the tournament got moved and all of a sudden like what was supposed to be like a summer slash fall event turned into uh, a winter event for us so the athletes who were nominated like uh, on the women's side rachel and alex had to get permission to leave their university and college teams right so th- there was just a lot that went into it but uh, i am curious when you mentioned the networking thing like don't spare the details for me and the listeners you arrive i think you had to quarantine quickly and then unlike maybe indoor where you have this big team and you know your practice times, like you're coordinating with strangers trying to find like, hey, do you guys want to scrimmage today or do you want to do a shared practice? Like versus sometimes at beach tournaments, you sign up and you get if you go by yourself, you get like a half hour court time, which is boring and not enough. But if you can partner, I'll share my half hour with your half hour. And now we're going for an hour and we can play volleyball. So take me through the arrival to like those first few days. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it on the head there where it's a lot of like, hey, let's let's make this work. Uh, and again, I was lucky to meet some really, really cool people from, I don't know, like <laughs> Robson from Brazil, who's the number one development guy that's always there in every picture when they win Youth Worlds, right? To Marco from Spain, and uh, Kirsten from Germany, Beth and Gabby from this, I can go on. And, but those guys, like, those are so cool to meet, right? And actually like bounce ideas off of them on practices with. But yeah, when we got there, it was a quick quarantine process. We were lucky that we got moved into a, uh, a really nice hotel. So that whole early stint for whatever, I think we were there for eight or nine days before the tournament actually started. Um, so we got to like train with, I think basically every country there. Um, and yeah, like coordinating all those events and making sure that everybody kind of got what they needed out of each practice and scrimmages because different countries were coming. I think we were honestly like, the Ukraine was there before us and Australia and Australia because they were there for the uh, Asian games. Yeah. So, so that was like, uh, it was an interesting kind of thing to be able to develop and scaffold kind of a, a plan leading up towards that. And I had a nice 30 hour flight to be able to do that. So I was lucky <laughs> now, beforehand, but, uh, are you sparking the conversation through like Instagram or like, or how are you making contacts? Cause I, I, it seems like everybody's cooperative, but like when your feet on the ground, they're like, are you honestly just cold calling or going out to people in the breakfast line? Be like, you guys training today? Like, what time are you going? Do you want to go at 10 with us? We have a court book. Like, yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's, it's like cold calling salesmen. Yeah. Like, uh, again, I was lucky. I knew a couple just people from youth world players. So I usually initiate by, Oh, do you know this and this? And most of the time it was a yes. Or sometimes it was. And then, yeah, it's good. It's cold calling, figuring out those schedules. And, uh, yeah, like there's there's a lot of, I don't know, even like guys like Clemens Doppler were there, right? Like he was coaching the Austrian team, right? um he uh got to talk to him that was more of a dm <laughs> message but that was cool uh and then yeah they're yeah, just setting up the schedules and i don't know one of the uh, buddies i met uh marty uh, tishi from uh, he runs the whole check program and he'd get tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to train and they were definitely one of the better teams there and yeah it was just fun and actually that's a funny story too he he ended up like we trained with them i think the day before two days before a qualifier for uh, martin and camp and uh, we're training with them, right? And we uh, started uh, joking around, all this stuff. And we filmed the practice session. I filmed it for them. I said, yeah, we can share it after. And then he said, yeah, throughout the tournament, if all the CEV stuff they'll be able to share with me and whatever I have, because we've been here for more than a week, I'll share to him. 
And uh, we found out at the, at the meeting, drawing things, that we play each other the first round, <laughs> right? So it was just a, it was a, it was a funny coincidence. And we looked at each other and we said, hey, no, we'll still share all the stuff. And we did it, and, uh, hung out and had all that stuff. And luckily we pulled that one out, but that was uh, a nail biter for Cam and Martin. That was 34-32, I think, against the Republic in the qualifiers. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy, but. Was there any sense of that, that once the tournament started, uh, you know, people started going into their, their I don't want to use the word bubble because it gets abused in COVID, but just like their circle where like, I, I think on training days, it's nice to be cooperative and friendly and work with this group. But uh, I've seen it on World Tour where like Cantor Loziak went from being like the nicest people I've ever met to like, don't even make eye contact with you, don't want to talk to you, don't even want to look at you when the tournament starts. So did, did any other countries feel like they flipped a switch that like when it was game on, like friends are off? Yeah. Yeah, I would say there were definitely some. Like, I think, I think uh, it's very stereotypical to some extent, but I think the the Russians were never very <laughs> receptive <laughs> to much. Right, uh, the Brazilians opened up after I chatted to them a little bit and stuff and pulled the Adriana card, so she's she she's well well known there still. So that that was good, but yeah, there there were some countries that kind of shut down, and uh, it, it's funny, like with the some of the countries they traveled with such a big team, a staff, right? Like the Polish team, I remember having um, whatever physio a a mental coach, whatever it may be, and like a couple assistants. So like they already had their kind of circle to talk to almost, right? Whereas like if I'm like at some point I was coaching two or three teams, right? So like having to uh, game plan things and it was great to have relationships where I can, yeah, pull out scouting things. Marty gave me a couple things and some of the teams were playing, right? Like he's played them before. Australia was great with that as well. And uh, especially for the girls at the U21. So yeah, no, it was uh, definitely some teams went in their own bubble, but no, generally most people friendly and uh, and yeah, it was it was very cool. That now with the tournament being in December, like you met, uh, mentioned, Martin Lick was there, like uh, Alex and Rachel, like they're they're going from full time indoor to now they got to go, now they got to go travel, so jet lag's a factor. Now they got to deal with the heat because it was warm there. Now uh, I the pitchers were awesome, but the courts were on the water, right? So I know you mentioned you arrived early, but how did you guys get used to like one beach and indoor are different enough at a high level that it's like, this is different, but now you're dealing with heat, sun, wind, all those distractions. Oh, and it's your first world championship. So you probably feel some, some pressure as it is. Right. So how did you guys feel like you prepped for the event on the lead in part? Yeah. Well, again, they were like, I give all the kudos to them that they were willing to sacrifice time out of their indoor schedules and work out a way with their coaches that they were able to at least take a few weeks. Like, uh, again, it's a little easier for the high school kids that were able to take off kind of club stuff, but university is a little bit more of a commitment. But yeah, it was a lot of conditioning, I'll be honest. And uh, we spoke about this, and every person I spoke to that went to youth worlds or world championships reiterated it like, you need to be able to play in that condition and long enough for it. So, a lot of interval sprints, a lot of yo yo's. That's my calling card most of the time is, is that stuff. So, yeah, we probably did that, especially for Cam and Martin and Rachel and Alex. That was like, Every practice, right? Even leading up to the event, we tapered a little bit a couple of days prior, but it was, uh, I remember even, I remember after that qualifier, I came and Martin gave me a hug after the win because it was a really, it was one o'clock. I probably like 40, 45 degrees to humid decks. It was very, very, and we basically served one guy the entire time because we knew eventually when he got tired, he would start just internally rotating. He would just give us chips down the line, right? So we started playing towards that, but. I remember them giving me a hug after the match saying, I love you, Andy, and expletive, I'll never be upset at yoga before you ever again. <laughs> right? So they, and they kind of, re- I think that's until you're there and understand what that feels like, I don't think you truly get it. Right? And that's where I hope with guys who are able to do that again and move on to the world tour again, and particularly for someone like Caden and Danil, where they might be able to have a chance to do it 
or a couple more times that these goals level, like they'll have that in the back of the mind when they train and not be so fussy when we make them go these sprints. <laughs> That's such a good point because you really don't know what you don't know in a sense where you were away. So I hopefully contributed a little bit and did my part, but I got to work with Rachel and Alex when they were still home here. But Downsview, it's what, 20 to 22 and fluorescent every day. So like we were trying to convince them to like, Listen, I know you don't want to, but you need to train in a sweater tomorrow just so you can get like an extra sweater, do those things at, at home where hopefully it, it caught up on the road where it, it's just so gnarly. And you mentioned Martin going through uh, and Chadwick going through the, the qualifier. How do you think their mood was? Because it's got to take like a little bit of toll on you where you come from the Ontario system and don't get me wrong, you play a lot of games like you sign up for tournament, you know, you're going to get like three matches at least where guys, you're going to fly to Thailand. And you might play one game, and that might be your whole event, right? So, could you sense nerves within the within the guys and girls? Could you sense like an excitement? Like, how did they handle the concept of like you spent all this money, you took time away from school, you dedicated all this time? Oh, and by the way, it's it's a two out of three, and if you lose, we're we're done for the week. We won't get to train, but it's not you're not in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I'll even add to that stress. Like Cam and Martin had never played together before that point. Right. That was the first time <laughs> they ever played together. So that was another added stress, right? They were. Kind of a last minute because of an injury, right? We came together, had maybe like we practiced for a week, maybe at Downsview, right? And that wasn't even every day. And even that, we had to manage some injuries, some lagging stuff. And yeah, and but again, I give those guys full credit because they fully bought in. I remember Martin even asking me the day before they played if they could do an extra yo-yo. And I said, maybe not a good idea because you play tomorrow, right? But I think we should taper it down and like, and again, I'll, I'll use a quote that Cam used throughout the tournament. I laugh every time. He said, whatever the problem was, the heat or the wind, I thrive in the heat. I thrive in the wind. Right? He'd keep repeating that to himself. And it was it reminding me of like an old hockey dude just yelling that the entire time. And uh, and to, be, to his credit, like it honestly did look like he was thriving. And there was a guy who was playing, every team he played against virtually was a full-time beach athlete in, in the summer, in the heat, all year round. And this guy just came out from Georgia, right? And absolutely huffing and puffing. But truly believes in his mind right now that he's thriving, right? So that, yeah, no, it was, it was, I, I was very proud of all the teams for that matter to be able to walk into there. And even so, like Emma and Ruby are unbelievable as well. I guess I wasn't directly involved with them in the prep by any means, but um, they walk into a situation at U19, same thing, right? They're playing first match, they lose the route. And the way the COVID kind of made the tournament happen, a lot of the teams from the African continent couldn't get in, right? So not always, but traditionally those are usually the weaker teams and some of the qualifiers, whatever it may be, right? So all the teams who play in the qualifiers are tough. And who did I draw out of my first draw in U19 Worlds as a, as a, as a representative is Brazil for them in the, first, in the first round, right? So they lose that, they're out. And, uh, and yeah, and they walked into that fully prepared, right? Fully ready to go with a great mindset and, and took over, right? And, and honestly shocked the tournament. So yeah, it was it was a really encouraging thing to see them have with no fear. And I think I think ignorance is bliss to some extent in that situation, right? Like I don't think they truly understood how dominant Brazil usually is at those events. <laughs> but to walk into that and say, hey, I don't care, right? Slap slap the hammer on the table kind of thing and, and be ready to go. Right. So that was yeah, no, they they were awesome. And, and not to stereotype Brazil just as this volleyball super nation, but for our listeners to clarify. Brazil has won seven gold medals just at, at Youth World Championships, and only 
uh, three other countries have more than seven medals total. So they have more gold medals than some other federations have total medals just to show that like, yeah, they're good on the world tour. They're good at the senior level. No, they're good at every level. But uh, one other distraction that can happen when you're on the road, especially for the first time is, is not only staying in a hotel, but how was the food? Like, I know you mentioned you stayed at a pretty classy hotel, but like, were the athletes like if you're a picky eater, could you get by on that? Because like the heat's a factor, the tournament's a factor, you're at a world championships. Now like a picky eater on top of that, like how did they deal with that distraction? Again, I, I the only thing I can compare, compare it to for that world stage is that youth worlds in China. And uh and the food was night and day. <laughs> I gotta say, they the Thailand Federation did a fantastic job offering them a ridiculous amount of food. And Thailand luckily it's very cheap if you want something else as well, just on the sand and go get some Thai food. But no, mo- most of the athletes were, were pretty good with that. They, they ate a lot, which was awesome. And I, I don't think I've ever seen so many shocked servers uh, when Caden puts like four plates of pancakes and eats them uh, <laughs> before, before a match, like before a very important match against Ukraine and our first pool player against Russia. And he starts down like four plates of croissants and pancakes and and then goes up wins. So <laughs> that was, yeah, no, it was, uh, I think, but it's a learning experience in that way too, right? Like I remember prepping the guys for that saying like, you don't know what it's going to be available there, right? So bring snacks, bring all your food, bring all your Pedialyte, whatever. I know John Barrett's already been in a Pedialyte. So I told him to bring some of that, right? And yeah. and they all did, right? So when, even when we didn't have those cafes open or wherever the uh, buffet was open, then they were locked and loaded with stuff in their backpack. We had two or three coolers going. It was, it was great. They were prepared. I don't know. That kind of professionalism doesn't come without like seeing it in person, right? And and seeing what is needed. So I was really happy that everyone was able to do that. Yeah, and I'm all for the athletes figuring it out and kind of learning. I I don't ever want to see them like Seward because they don't know. But uh, just for our listeners who are rolling their eyes about like my picky eater comment, like we've had uh, Justine Wong Arantis, who's the libero on the U.S. national team. And like that's a top tier program. They're competitive in every tournament and they bring camping meals everywhere they go just in case the food at the event isn't a par that they have camping meals. So like if you don't know what you're getting into, you need a plan because you can't rely on the promoter to feed you because like your, your performance matters so much, right? Yeah, no, it's crazy. And like, and that's like you said, like so many teams do that. Like they have their own like system of food, but like they won't touch anything. So, um, yeah, no, and whatever reason it be for it, like it's, it works, works for them, right? And I mean, <laughs> seeing all the Russian players do rip smelling salts, whatever it is before they're playing, right? Like, that, like that's something again, I, I've done my fair share of the smelling salts as well, but that's something I'm probably not doing in that situation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like everyone has their kind of own process and, and, and that was, again, this made it a little off topic, but this, like, that's something I really enjoyed spitballing with all the other coaches about how certain teams play and what that style is like. And the obvious one being at U21s is the Swedish team, right? Um, like they run that offense. That's such a unique thing. And, and again, seeing kind of how that developed over the years and what they're at now, it's like they run, it's like they're playing indoor and they're running against the flow every play in transition. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're passing to whatever two and they're running the other way. So they have to spread out the offense. It's, it's cool to see and, and how they, it's, and I remember talking, I, a conversation with the Dutch coach, the role in the house and him saying to me that they actually don't, it's not a different skill, right? It's not something like you're not changing your platform very differently. You're not, it's nothing teaching at a younger level. You're not changing it. It's just the goal. The objective is very purposeful and different. Right. And, and having that as an option. So the first ball is a set. It's not a save. Right. No matter what we're doing, even on a spin, it's we're setting it up for a partner to hit it. Right. And it's simple, but it, but it really gave an impression on you know, how you can kind of change that game in that way. Yeah, no, it was fascinating. Yeah, I'm glad you brought them up because I did want to talk about this because the to me, there were there was a couple layers that are, are very intriguing where 
uh, on the men's side, because NCAA Beach doesn't exist, the the two men's winners were you, you mentioned the at the U twenty one games, uh, Amin and Helvig, who are the Sweden team, who are taking like fifth at four stars, like they're they're a legit world tour team. But also at U nineteen was the the France team, uh, Rotar and Canada, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I've scouted against them. Like our teams have played them. I think we lost in a qualifier to them. Like they're they're legit and they're so young and they're competing at the world tour. Uh, and I think on the girl, excuse me, the women's level, uh, the U S won U 19 and then this Ukrainian team won U 21 and this Ukrainian team, they played on the, the world tour this year. They've got a gold medal and three bronze. And I think like, so it's just a, a funny compromise of like, we're talking about our athletes who are our blue chippers and are awesome. And like, we want them to play internationally, but they're kind of, this is their first international experience. And like, this is the event for them. They're looking around me like, Oh, I've made it. And they're playing against people who have been like on the world tour level or the Americans who are playing NCAA, they must be playing beach year round. Right. So it's just kind of a funny comparison where we go to worlds and don't get me wrong. Like we have goals of doing well, we're going to be as competitive as anybody, but, uh, Amin and, and Helwig are playing for money on the world tour. Like they're playing on the senior tour. So, I'm curious, did you notice anything about that? That like there was professionals on the tour and then there was people who was like, this was their first taste of what professional could be. You could tell, I find the biggest difference was you could tell in how they prep, right? That they only took, again, I, I was like, I'm Ukrainian by background, people that don't know, but the, but I spoke, I spoke to Vasily and Yuba, their coaches, because they were there for U19 as well, super early. So we got to know them a little bit, but like they had the most, like, I think maybe from those experiences, they had the most stringent plans and what they were going to do. Like a certain amount of jumps, they, like Em and Ruby practice with them. And what I understood was going to be a little more of a 10 session turned into being like blocking ball specifically and passing to a spot, right? For that whole day, right? So having like, you could tell, and same thing with the Swedish team, only practice a certain part of the day, it seemed like, right? And only against certain teams, working on something very specifically. So I think that in, in your prep, I think it was very obvious who was there before and who does it for a living to some extent. But again, another shout out. That was him and Ruby beat them in U19, that U21 champion. They beat them in full play. That's so That's funny how the draw works because uh, obviously I haven't experienced a youth world. I hope to go someday. Hopefully, you know, we don't have another delivery of a child that I can go next time. But <laughs> if I have to, I mean, you're my guy to go. But uh, it is funny where I've heard horror stories where federations are so confident that like, the rankings don't really matter and sometimes the federation internally ranks where like maybe some other federations have like stacked their second team into the qualifier thinking like if we get two teams into the main draw it's going to be even better so the rankings are so random that you don't even know what's going on and if anyone doesn't believe me the ukrainian team who won the worlds uh they came in ranked 21st so like you can't look at the ranking and say oh we're playing the 16th seed this should be an easy game you have no idea who's across the net from you in that moment yeah yeah and the french team for the guys that for united team the one who won was originally in the qualifier they're taking fifths at one stars and they got registered in the qualifier somehow like come on <laughs> yeah no so yeah it, it's you walk into those things really not knowing and that's why i think it's so crucial for uh, you to be there so early and, that, and then again i'm i think brazil is probably the marquee team to follow and, and watch but they're notoriously known for showing up a day before two days before the event right and not having that full prep time because they, they usually walk through everybody Right. And again, I'd like to think maybe Em and Ruby showing up earlier than everybody <laughs> and then playing them in the first qualifying game for a team that just came the day before maybe made a bit of a difference. So, but, uh, and it's at a level where I think there's so many teams that are competitive that, like, don't get me wrong, if somebody's across the net from Russia, they might say, like, oh, we're, we're playing like Russia or we're playing Brazil. But like, for a men's final to be France and Thailand, I don't think that happens very often. And again, not to stereotype, um, 
So you can't, again, you can't just look at the schedule and say, oh, this or this, like you, you need to really pay attention. So uh, I'm curious, how did you scout the event? Because you mentioned you might be responsible for up to three or four teams a day. Uh, I, I know you have contacts and for anyone who's like, oh, I can't believe we were sharing stuff with other federations. I find that like, if you're willing to share, they're willing to share. And then that just cuts the time versus like you trying to see every court every single day and catch stuff where th- there is a community sense. Like, obviously we're not going to coach against each other. Like piranhas don't eat their own, but you are going to try to attack the others. So how did you feel like you were still preparing for the event versus just like working 23 hours a day? I think the latter is true. I think it was basically 23 hours a day, <laughs> totally. but, but uh, no, it was a lot of, again, like I, I was lucky to meet some really great people that were able to uh, like yeah, network and, and collaborate on some scouting plans. And again, we were lucky that I, I maybe other than that Thailand team you're talking about, that Cam and Martin had in pool play. The guy, I don't know how that guy might not be, the defender might not be over five, seven. But probably wow. jumps over forty-five inches and absolutely hammers balls. But when you don't have tape on that guy and that's your first match, that was a difficult one, I gotta say. But the like other than that, I think we had tape on everybody we played and were able to again do our nightly scouting session and review in the morning. And yeah, it was from tapes from old CEDs from all those countries I was able to make friends with and, and share stuff with. Um, and other ones were just yeah, like taking cameras and making sure you're filming absolutely everything at the tournament. It, Again, I think my computer ran out of storage probably through the external hard drive because I was just uploading absolutely everything and recording every possible thing I can see. So that was kind of that. But again, it's it's not easy because again, you have to comb through everything, scout it, chart it, right? make an analysis, right? And I was lucky that a lot of the athletes were really engaged in that process too. Like they were willing to, again, come do the scouting, right? Because you can kind of, as you coached for many years, right? Some athletes can be involved in that process and really engaged and care about that. And something kind of, oh, okay, this isn't worth it. And I would say every every team and every individual I worked with was very into that process and took it seriously and and honestly pointed out things that I didn't even see so Right. So having that ability for them to kind of dictate and collaborate on that strategy is huge. Now, is it fair to say because of, I don't want to sound like the old guy, but I'm definitely getting older, that the the amount of technology or the amount of screen time these athletes have, that maybe they're more used to video? And what I mean by that is like, I've probably seen myself play on tape like two or three times when I was like a club athlete where it seems like Caden and Daniil or Emma, they must have like, one, there's there's parents at every tournament filming now, but two, they must have more access to it where coaches can break it down. Like, w- did it feel like there was just more of a comfort level for them to like break down tape and watch themselves versus there is that growing pain when you first see yourself on video, you don't, you're like, oh, I can't believe I look like that versus like, oh, I need to take a step to the left. Like until you get to performance, you have to get by that like embarrassment point, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would say it, it totally varied from teams because, again, working with Caden and Janelle was very different for me than working with Avon Tool, right? Like, the, it was a very wide range of experience at that international level. So, um, again, granted, they were the same world championships, but NCAA the Blaze there as well, right? like you were saying. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting, like, to see, I think, I think they all were used to seeing themselves on tapes. So like you were saying, there was no, um, oh, like, I look like crap there kind of thing. There was none of that. But I think a lot of them didn't, like, I'm very big, and again, this is totally from John Barrett, I'll give him that shout out, side him here, but very big on the, like, arm swing and how it naturally comes through, right? Where, where someone's, where is someone releasing to when they're in most trouble, right? When they're most tired, what's their go-to shot, right? How are they lining up in certain situations, right? Um, John has the, whatever, the seven things, you know, he's a puller, he's a, he's a late, late, whatever, he has all these terminologies, right? So I definitely stole a lot of that and, and was able to kind of, Put that into their minds and again for the teams i was able to work with for years prior they knew all that terminology 
So moving into there was pretty easy. Um, but yeah, for teams I was more stuck only in a couple months with, yeah, it was teaching them what to look for, right? Like what, what does like an internal rotator look like? Where do you find that? What can we do in response to that? Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a learning curve, honestly, for everybody. Like I realized, I think I was a very heavy video person before and going through that event, going through both tournaments, frankly, I think I realized that, yeah, and honestly, I think Angie uh, Shen who was there as well, coaching Emma and Ruby helped me out with that. Like seeing you have to scale it back to some extent to make sure that the salient points are coming through. Right. So that was, that was a coach learning for me for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. And I'm curious your thoughts, because uh, as I mentioned, you coach at the youth level, you coach uh, men and women, but uh, the European federations, I think, do well, because the the CEV, like their their regional federation, their continental federation is so well organized that they can play professionally, they can play on world tour, that seems like, yeah, the France guys, the Swedish guys, like they, they all have competitions. But um, that American team, Obviously, when they won, I started to pay attention. But now that I've done a little bit of research, like Megan Craft is legit. Uh, and her partner, uh, Delaney Maple, like these are two of the most highly recruited uh, beach volleyball players. It seems like they grew up playing beach volleyball where now um, NCAA is starting to normalize where I think you can grow up as a 14 year old playing beach full time where uh, even when we had like Sophie Bukovic on the show, like beach scholarships weren't a thing even for a, a young athlete like her. So now that, that the NCAA is so organized that there's so many schools offering it, do you just see like the Americans and even our Canadian athletes, a lot of the women are going to the NCAA. Do you think that's how we can shorten the gap where we can be jealous and say, oh, Europe's got pro tours and they've got domestic tours and they can they can do all these things where the NCAA is pumping out athletes where, like I said, craft is legit. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's I think the NCAA helps the North American side tremendously, right? And you'll have teams like the uh the Spanish team, um, Daniela Alvarez and, and Tanya. I know they didn't play together at the World Championships, um, but they they play TCU, right? So it, it's like you, there are European teams and teams across the world that are coming to play in the NCAA on the girls' side. So yeah, I think it's a huge way to shorten that gap. And I see it ripple effects. Like I'm lucky I work with a, a tremendous group of like fifteen year old, fifteen, sixteen year old girls. And and them like they their I would say goal and objectives are very different than the fifteen and sixteen year old girls that I coached five years ago, right? Like they see that path that they're able to go to and and kind of plan for it to some extent. Like they're doing strength and conditioning, they know that at a certain point teams will have to start looking at it, right. I think there's a huge ripple effect being seen, and and the level's growing. Like it's much higher than it was when I played or when I remember, ten years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the age gap is interesting like i don't want to get all kumbaya, kumbaya and say oh it was great everything was awesome you did all this networking like if you want to be a pessimist you could say well Caden and daniel were as good of a youth team as we've seen in the last few years and they still finished 17th so how do you think that has a ripple effect on them where when they're at home Caden and daniel are legit they're playing up they're doing really well like you took them to a bunch of uh, adult tournaments in quebec this year and they're they're by far holding their own or more, but then they go to a world championships and it's like, whoa, there's guys my age who are as good as me or better than me. Like, was there any learning going on where they can see that there's a next level? Because I, I think it's tempting sometimes in Canada to be like, Aiden's 17 and he's training with our summer next gen program. And he not only doesn't look out of place, but sometimes he's the best player on the court. So how, how did that effect have it with them? Like that guy's my agent. Well, look what he's doing over there. Like, uh, well, the French, the French guys are Caden's age. That's the amazing but that they won, right? So I, like, I have the exact moment where I think I've, we were sitting in this little hut watching, I think it was Ukraine and Iran playing a scrimmage because they were the only other two countries there when first got there. And I can see Caden's face being like, oh, 
kid. Like these guys are my age, right? Like, and they're at the same level, right? And they're physical and they can do all these things, right? And that's a realization you can only get if you're exposed to it in person. I, I truly believe that you can watch all these things on tape. I, again, we tried to watch that stuff on tape of the Russian teams of previous U19s and it doesn't do it justice, right? So yeah, like they, they definitely, I think, again, I'm very lucky that they, they played their butts off and gave people for people that follow that are listening. Uh, every match they played in was within two points. Right. So they're again, they won, they beat Ukraine 15 13, who came fifth at U21s and came fifth, I think, at U19 as well. Right. Beat them 15 13, then beat Russia, right, in pool play, and then lose to Poland, who is actually, again, tough pool, but they lose, but 21 19, whatever it is. Right. And then they lose to Italy. But those are all formative moments, right? Like I think even it wasn't our trajectory up in performance wise in the sense of results, but uh, like the way they approached the game, the way how comfortable they were. Like it was, I don't know, I, I saw a lot of development. And I laugh, like when we're thinking about what um, what they did in, in the summer, even before those tournaments, right? Like they played in Adel Quebec, but you forget that like Danil went from, I was laughing, when I started working with him, he was 14 U Nationals, right? 14 U Nationals was his last official tournament. And then his next official tournament, because of the COVID break where we had nothing, was Adult Grand Prix. So he went from 14 nationals to adult Grand Prix in Quebec to world championship. That was his direction of, of within two years, right? So that's where I think like in the grand scheme of things, like I think they showed so much development and I know, and, and they'll say this too, if they're ever on here or you ever see them in person, like those guys are extremely motivated to, to win a world championship. And that's the only goal. We'll so, um, and I have no doubt in my mind they can do it. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And, and I think, What's great about Beach is, well, what's great is it's also the dark side, some of our sport where they get eliminated, but I imagine you guys are still training, you're still doing more, like you just don't leave the venue. So uh, I'm curious, uh, you don't have to name names, but as far as like a program goes, how do you think Team Canada responded about like, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, you got to get out of bed, we still got to get a training session in, like we're just not going to be tourists as soon as we're eliminated. Like, did you find that you had to negotiate with any teams or everybody was willing to like, hey, there's still, we're still at a world-class venue, there's still tons of teams to train against that like, even though I'm eliminated from the tournament, I can still get better today. Yeah, it honestly wasn't much negotiating on that front. Um, because the way the tournament, and again, a lot of our teams played a lot of matches, um, and all, I think everybody got at least to the round of 24. So no one was out super, super early. So really it was that one extra day, the way the tournament structured, because I think the guys goes a bit later. So for the team, like for Cam and Martin, it was, yeah, like once they got knocked out at an extra day, right. And they had one more day until they leave. Right. So we took advantage of that. And yeah, but it was no, no tough negotiating by any means. They were all, I think that, le- that it should. And I think for all of the athletes that I worked with, it did. It leaves you hungry, right? Like it leaves you with thing like I could be here, I am here, right? There's there's no reason why I can't beat teams at this level, right? And, and if that doesn't motivate you to train and find those teams and find those teams to train against, nothing will, right? So yeah, no, it, it wasn't difficult at all. And, and again, we were lucky that a lot of the guys and girls made friends with a lot of those teams. So on my front, it wasn't it was no effort, right? They just said, hey, let's go play tomorrow, right? And and that was just great for me, right? Because it's less prep, right? Especially between the tournaments when. U21 teams were just arriving and U19 just ending. It was great for me that they were able to do that somewhat by themselves and, and organize. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, they, they were they were very professional and, uh, and quite motivated. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it was the same uh, exact venue. It was the same exact hotel. So uh, as far as logistics go, what was the crossover? Because you mentioned you were there for 25 days. So like, did you get a day break or did you feel like you were coaching 25 days in a row? No, I, re- I very specifically remember 
Caden and like Caden and Danil lost. I think they were the last team I coached for the U19. So yeah, Caden and Danil lose in U19, and then right after that, um, <laughs> or at the game, I remember Kaylee is standing there, right, ready to train <laughs> because in U21 in three days we're starting up again, right? So I you know it was there. It was a quick turnaround, and uh, yeah, like I remember with yeah, Ava and Kaylee, we went right to the grind, started training in a few hours. <laughs> I think it was uh, to get going, and again for. From a coaching standpoint, it was nice because I, I, don't know, I didn't have any time to dwell. It was kind of like, okay, that's over. Learn from that, right? We had our debriefs uh, that evening, and then move on to the next one. Right? We have another competition. We have another tournament, and it was good. But don't get me wrong; I was absolutely exhausted by the end of that twenty-five days. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> and for you to you know fly across the world and go to Thailand, uh, did you get a, a chance to maybe not eat a hotel dinner? Did you get to go to the town at all? Like I, I know obviously COVID is a thing and you had to be pretty specific about where you're going, but uh, for, for the athletes, did they get to kind of experience a different culture or maybe go on a bit of a walking tour or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, no, we did. Like again, once they, again, that, that was probably the best organized tournament, international tournament I've seen in a very long time. Like they had events for all the athletes that got knocked out. You didn't want to be part of them by any means, <laughs> but, uh, but and I didn't go on any of them because I was coaching, but, they had all that stuff set up. And yeah, no, I, we ended up going on the beach, having much of those meals because they have all the restaurants set up. And I didn't, I, until the, I think it was the very last day that I go uh, to the town, like we had a night market and, uh, or second last day, whatever it was. We went out to grab some food, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it, it was fun to get to know the culture. And, and again, that's the part of the beauty of our sport, right? Like being able to get out and see different cultures and meet different people and, but yeah, I just have these memories of again enjoying some Thai massages, whatever it be, on, on the side of the boardwalk and seeing <laughs> Danil, the six nine kid getting walked on by five old ladies. <laughs> I think I think he actually, you know, and Caden, actually a lot of our teachers became fan favorites because we were there for so long. So all these uh, ladies would be cheering. Other, if it wasn't against Thailand, they'd be cheering for us. That that was kind of fun. But uh, but yeah, that was good. Time. That's great. Two genuine guys who tend to play with a smile on their face. So obviously very easy to root for. But uh, no, that's awesome, man. Because sometimes my mind gets caught up talking about like, it it is the usual suspects in terms of medal count that it seems like Brazil, Russia, Poland, like they have a system and oh, we're so unlucky because we don't have this or that. But uh, I think Canada's got a lot of good things going. I think showing the what you were able to offer the athletes and then in turn what they were willing to commit to, because it's not easy to, as a 17 year old, tell your club coach, like, listen, I'm going to beach worlds. Like, can I miss practice or can you modify my training? Like Aiden and Neil were at Downsview uh, and it's dark in there. It's cold in there sometimes like uh, for, for Rachel to leave Queens and for Alex to leave Humber, like they're all a part of something, but to kind of sacrifice a little bit and hopefully get something out of it. I just think it's, it's a great direction in our sport, but uh yeah, for, for everything they gave up, hopefully they got something out of it. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think they did. And, and you'll have to ask them to get the, the full answer. But, and, and again, like I said, I think it's causing a, a very positive ripple effect in the rest of the world. I can already see a lot of my younger athletes I'm working with want to go to Spain to train, want to go to, like, they're willing to make that commitment where I, I don't see, I didn't see that five, six years ago, right? Like, it was a summertime sport where indoor trip present, right? Or priority, whatever it may be. And, uh, and yeah, like having, again, my younger girls that I work with willing to go on international trips, right? We're already talking about them planning that. Like that's something I think doesn't come unless you see teams like Emma and Ruby, teams like they've been totally do very well at those international events and commit themselves to them. So, yeah. 
Well, man, th- th- this has been awesome. I know I, I felt bad that I-, I felt like I was putting you in a tough spot, but just hearing that you had a great experience and uh, my guy Darren O'Neill was there for the second week. So if you're ever in a sour mood, just talk to Darren for five minutes and he's going to get you jacked up. So it was just good that uh, you're all smiles. I-, I think the networking you did, the learning you did, that like just hearing you talk about it, I'm fired up. So uh, I know you did me a solid, but I feel like you got a lot out of this too. No, no, I, I, I thank you for that. It was, uh, it was definitely a once in a lifetime experience. I hope it's not once in a lifetime. I hope to be <laughs> in United's this summer once again, whatever, whoever it may be. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And again, like you said, Darren, uh, Darren was a blast from that summer. Well. I uh, wish that guy all the best and give him a shout out to his program on Point Beach. Incredible stuff they do there as well. Definitely, definitely. Well, I won't put you on the spot for the funny story because I didn't give you the warning, but maybe this is an excuse to go back to episode 35. You you had told some great stories back when you were still a student athlete, but for now, we'll keep it on on the coaching. But uh, I've taken enough of your time because for the listeners, uh, we probably chatted for close to an hour before we even started recording because it was just great to catch up. So uh, I feel like I've taken enough of your time for the day, but thanks for sharing and updating you did. And uh, yeah, hopefully... Hopefully, we can figure out this COVID thing so U19 and U21 can happen again and we can get uh, keep this momentum rolling because, like I said, I think we have the athletes in place. I think we have the program in place. Everybody's still keen to learn but also still perform where we're in a good spot and we're going to get this thing done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kudos to that. Thanks again, Josh. <laughs> it's fun.